Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 69th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Elections can often be a very emotional time for us. The system does an excellent job of teaching us how to wear the same face paint, seeking solace and emotional support within our respective tribe, and intense feelings of excitement, joy, fear, and anger can often shape and persuade our mood, depending on which side of democracy we are on. However, is it right for us as citizens or even people to put our happiness and perhaps to some degree faith in the hands of another human being? While the United States is indeed a republic and being active citizens is required to make our democracy work, should political outcomes really have the power to affect our mood? Or maybe our mood is something better decided outside the voting booth. Joining me to help discuss if we should really be putting so much weight on who's in charge, I am once again joined by Claire. Claire, I must say, you and I are political science majors. I'm a political junkie. You're a political junkie. Is it wrong for me to say that I just really wasn't all that emotionally invested in any of this? You know, I don't think so, Aaron. And I think, you know, these often are sort of defense mechanisms that we develop that serve us quite well. Um, You know, in my own personal experience, I look back at myself as a college student kind of or in my early 20s and and putting so much of my personal identity in the movements with which I associated with. Um, And I think, you know, it is so easy as we kind of come of age in the world to find things wrong with it. Um, You know, there's tyranny everywhere. There's corruption all over. Life simply isn't fair. Um, And I think that the immediate reaction there is just to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and and really want to want to overthrow things, radicalize things and change things. And that's a that's a really angry position to be in. I remember a moment back when I was living in San Francisco in the um, kind of the first Black Lives Matter movement. And I remember looking up and there were some snipers on the roof, kind of crowd control and and feeling feeling the inclination toward violence, like feeling like I wanted to physically fight back at that time. And that was a really draining mindset to be in. Um, And I think since then, you know, I've been able to sort of internalize that desire for change and, you know, start with things like fixing my own life, um, you know, rectifying the relationships with the people that are important to me, um, getting my feet under me so I could support myself and kind of feel, feel proud of the person I was. And only when I, when I was able to do that and feel like a, a fully fledged, honest, true person of, you know, person of character, could I start to expand that circle a little bit more and, you know, help, help others and, you know, commit more to charities and be more of a civic leader. And I think that that kind of um, order is something that we often get wrong. We want to externalize, fix the world, you know, vote for these politicians. And when in reality, that's really the response to maybe some brokenness that's inside us. Yes, yes. I love, I love what you're saying here about the brokenness with inside of us. And when we think of, of, of like people who 
are looking to politics or looking to political movements for their validation. Like what they're looking for is to validate their identity. And they think, oh, I'm a part of this movement. I'm a part of this organization. That's who I am. And they will proudly tote that label. Like I am a part of this movement. I am a part of this organization. That's who I am. But I'm like, no, 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 no. Identity cannot be constructed from the outside. You cannot, you cannot seek your identity from something that is outside of yourself. Only you internally have the power to shape your identity. And I, I think a lot of young people and, and maybe even older people make this mistake of, of like um, kind of joining the next bandwagon and then joining the next big tidal wave and thinking, this is who I am. I, I'm next, I'm standing next to these people. And if I'm standing next to these people, I must be a part of them, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we were talking about Nietzsche this week, and this is something that Nietzsche really predicted that, you know, when we lose those kind of meta values that we had in, in kind of our ancient times in the shape of mythology and religion and more kind of traditional value structures, we need some sort of meaning to, to replace that. And for some reason, it is not natural for us to find that meaning in ourselves. We need to externalize that to some greater kind of radicalized state. Um, and, and it just doesn't work. And, and Nietzsche and, and kind of all the existentialists would say, hey, let's, let's return to the individual, figure out that value structure for yourself um, and kind of go from there. Yes, yes. This, this actually reminds me of a conversation I just had with a, a guy on Nietzsche. And he said that the default behavior is that we are constantly searching for religion in everything. Like now, now that like a lot of people are losing faith in Christianity and, and traditional forms of religion, we're now seeking forms of religion in science, in political movements. And it just doesn't quite add up. It doesn't, it's not a perfect transfer of like, okay, now my belief structure is within this political movement or within science fully. It, they, the two things don't carry the same thing. And, and, and I would argue that religion has the role of constructing our ethics, our moral code, our, like it's a way of life, right? Like religion and philosophy are ways of life. They are principles to live on. Political causes are not ways of life for the most part. Most political causes are like, we wanna get this, we wanna achieve that, we wanna produce these outcomes. They're not really actually teaching you how to be a virtuous or stoic person, or they're not, they're not endowing you with virtues. They're just endowing you with like, let's get together and get these goods or get these resources or change policies on X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And I was I was just re-listening to an old Freakonomics episode that was talking about kind of, why do we even watch the news? Like, why is it even ethically an ethical imperative for us to be informed, which is something we think of as so natural, right? Like you just, you need to be informed. And, and they were making kind of an evolutionary biology perspective of it that from an evolutionary point, it did help us to kind of know what was going on, whether it was around kind of sex or violence or the weather, right? Which is like so ironic that now we have these modern weathermen. Like, yeah, you you would do better if you kind of knew what was going on in your tribe and others. But when we bring that to today, there is really very little news that is of, of practical value to us. We don't have that many threats. And so what, what this kind of informed-ness or necessity <laughs> is more akin to like 
a sports game or, or entertainment. Sure, you might make the, the statement that, you know, to be better informed, you might vote better, which leads to better policy. And there's, you know, of course, better turnout. We've seen that, um, you know, this year more than ever. Um, but, but when you really take a step back, how much is being informed actually impacting from an ethical point your life or the lives of others. It's kind of a, a head scratcher. Yes, yes. And, and it, it, it is like a, a tight line to walk. And actually, it's funny because I actually think of people who are really involved in politics and they'll actually tell you this. I really pay attention to local politics. That, that's mm. what they'll actually tell you. They'll be like, I don't really care what's happening at the federal level or whatever. They're really into local politics because they know that that's going to affect the um, the crossing guard that works at their school. They know that that's going to like influence, you know, um, the, you know, the teachers that's going to influence um, how the parks are funded. So people who are really, if you really want to be active, pay attention to local politics. That's going to have a direct impact on, on your life. Uh, but I think like in the podcast that, that um, you sent me, they just say, you know, does it re- is it really all that useful to know some random fact about what's happening in some foreign country? And okay, now that's going to sound very, like people are going to be like, Aaron, you sound super ignorant right now. Like, <laughs> you know, and then like, and it's true because, you know, the Uyghur Muslims in China, for example, are, are, are going through a lot of crazy stuff, you know, and it's good to know that. But, and here's the follow-up to this is that, if I know that information, what exactly am I doing with it? And this, this is like the, the most important thing to consider is that if I'm just being well-informed and I'm just accruing this information and maybe sharing an article on my Facebook and not really doing all that much with that information, what good is that? Like my how, Look at how my time is being allocated here because I'm accruing this knowledge so that I can come off as an impressive library of information, but I'm not actually doing anything with that knowledge. And I think that in itself might just be a poor allocation of time. Right. And it's frustrating because, you know, it's, it's human nature that when we see a problem, when we see something wrong, we have to do something to fix it right? That kind of blaming others for the world's problems is a complete waste of time. It doesn't serve us. You don't learn anything. You can't grow. You can't mature. You can't make yourself better. But when it comes to, as you're saying, you know, political issues in far off countries, yes, of course, you could mobilize toward one thing and really dedicate your life to it. But outside of that, how are you really going to help solve that? And in that way, Peterson would say, hey, when sometimes when things aren't going well, it's not the world that's the cause. It's your framing of it. It's how you come to understand that. You know, their their violence is kind of an inherent element, I think, of of human nature. And so, I think certainly in in putting that and trying to frame it in a way that is beneficial to you and will help you learn is is effective. But if you're just inputting this tra- tragedies without being able to do something about it, and certainly with kind of today's Charity, you know, charitable structure. Giving giving some money is is not this fulfilling way to kind of save the world. I, I mean, I might I might disagree a little bit on that. Like, if you are well informed, and that action is donating ten bucks, and 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 I know the nonprofit sector. There's a lot of corruption, and and people will tell me, Aaron, you know that most of that money goes to paying some admin that's sitting in an office somewhere. It's not actually going to the kids. Um, you know, in Kenya or whatever. And, and like that, there is, there is an element of truth there. I think 
if you're digesting that knowledge and doing some positive action, because I, I can't, I, I don't want to live in, like, I, I kind of disagree with Peterson a little bit here that it might also be dangerous if we don't pay attention to the outside world at all. Like if we get if we get into a level where it's like I'm only concerned with my immediate face-to-face -face interactions, there is there is there is kind of like a danger, and dangers could exist in like genocides and in other really really horrendous things that could crop up in the world if we're not informed. But here's the thing, and 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 again, if you find out that there is some kind of genocide going on in a foreign country, do something with that. D do mm -hmm. something with it. Make it an actionable step. And this actually plays into my theory of what I like to call external crutches in, in, in like using, using the president, using uh, the rallying cry of the day to not improve yourself. And th th this is where the danger comes. There are real people out there who are activists and, and donate money and, and, and do good stuff. God bless you. We need, we need people like that. However, there is another type of person, Claire, in this world who uses these things as excuses for not improving themselves. And I think this is kind of what Peterson is pointing to. Maybe he doesn't do the best job of like really splicing these two individuals out. But I would say the person who just says, oh man, um, the, world's, the world's screwed up. There's no point in doing anything. Or um, wait a minute, I, I, I can't be a good father. I can't be a good um, son, the, 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 you know, look at who's president or look at who, um, look at the big corporations ruling the world. It's like, no, you're using politics and you're using maybe global corruption as an excuse to avoid your daily responsibility. And those things, we need to kind of parse those things out between the people who are genuine activists and really trying to benefit the world from those who are just using that stuff to escape their present day reality. And I think it's two sets of individuals that this falls under. I, I love this, this concept. And I think it, I would take it even a step further that there's a lack of kind of understanding our own potential for that malevolence or just understanding that there isn't just bad people and good people and we are over on this good side, but that all, you know, the, the history of the world and everything going on is it's complex mm -hmm. and it's rooted in, in emotion and people's baggage as well as socioeconomic and environmental climate and, and everything. Um, and so I think that that sort of naive, naive viewpoint on the world of, you know, other things are bad and um, I'm just going to kind of rely on that, it, it just seems like there is a currency of complaining. It's just like, how, how much can we complain about the world? Yes. Yes. And you have to, you have to monitor if you're complaining is kind of distracting you. And I also think that when we think of like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there is, there is some insight to be gleaned from this a little bit. Let's just say, for example, you're a single mother and you don't have your life in order and you got, you got a daughter and you're living in poverty and so forth. Right now, your greatest responsibility is taking care of your daughter and making sure that she is loved, that she's getting a proper education, that homework is being done on time. That is your primary goal as a parent. Like once a child pops out, 
guess what? That That is your thing right there. And if you're not in the best situation or in the best position, well, we kind of need to table some of these other causes and put everything in raising the best possible child that we can. So I think it's having a sense of where your priorities are and realizing, hey, I'm a single mom, I'm living in poverty. It's really tragic what's happening outside in this other country right now. It's really tragic and I feel for these people. However, my life purpose right now is taking care of my daughter and that's really where my energies are going to be placed right now. What I think happens is that there's a lot of people out here in this world who have children and have really, really imperative responsibilities. And they kind of just use politics or they use external forces to distract from their primary responsibility. They're like, oh, okay, I, I, you know what? I, I would read to you tonight, but you know, mommy's gotta go off and, and save the whales right now. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. And, and, and men are also responsible for this as well. Like it's not just a woman, it's not like men also mm -hmm. have to take care of their children as well and then make sure that they're playing softball with their kids on Sunday and, and being a good example as well. So I think both men and women have a responsibility to, to put to take care of their fundamental responsibilities first before they can move on to um, the political arena as much. Absolutely. And, and, and often those, those responsibilities are not the fun ones because they involve <laughs> us diving into the depths of, of, of our past and our mistakes and our proclivity toward evil and vice and, and really unpacking that. And that's, you know, that's the work to be done in life, but it is not attractive and, and it's really quite difficult. And I think especially for young people, you know, it's so much easier to externalize that pain um, than to really kind of look internally and figure out what's going on. And, and, you know, some days are harder than others and some days it's going to beat you down and defeat you, but um, I'm hundred percent with you that that's the work to be done. And, and you make an excellent point. I've heard some number and I won't even try to botch it, but it's like in order for societies to start, uh, it was about the white rhino. It was like, in order for tribes to start caring about taking care of the white rhino, they need to make a certain amount of money. And I don't know what that number was, but it's like, of course, there's a hierarchy of need here. And it's so easy to project on other people's worldview and say that there's something unethical going on without understanding really what that hierarchy of need might be. Um, but, but, you know, again, this goes back to our original thesis here is it is an individualistic pursuit and we have to kind of really understand what's going on in our internal psyche before we can try to tell anyone what to do. And that even goes for giving someone advice, like, you know, that bubble can expand really quickly. Yes. Yes. All right. You know what, Claire, I'm going to pretend that there's a third person in this Zoom meeting with us. And they're just sitting there scolding their finger, be like, Aaron and Claire, you're so selfish. You're so selfish. Like you're just worried about, you know, improving your own lives and not about the world around you. Well, this is how I'm going to address that third person that's, you know, this imaginative third person sitting in the room. And I'm going to actually use an example that recently happened with uh, with my girlfriend who she's been teaching at home in the house through Zoom. Mm -hmm. And a lot of her students, and I'm very proud of her. I don't know how she feels about me sharing the story, but I'm, I'm proud of her. So I'm going to share it on the podcast. <laughs> Love it. She was, she was teaching on Zoom and a lot of the kids were like, they're worried about the election. They're afraid. They're like, I need to go vote and all this other stuff. And my girlfriend was kind of telling them, listen, 
you go ahead and vote. I voted today. You should vote today. But here's the deal. If you really care about changing the world, you're going to get through community college. You're going to get a bachelor's degree. You're going to you know, work your way up in this world and develop the skills, tools, and the title and the position to actually influence this world. You did your civic responsibility and you voted today. However, at this current juncture, there is nothing that you can possibly do. You voted and that's really just the end of the story. The best thing that you can do right now is become the best version of yourself, become highly educated, get your master's degree or whatever it is that you need to get the job that actually affords you influence and power. And I, I was just like walking around in the house and I heard that and I was like, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, Claire, like a lot of a lot of people, you know, kind of coddle this behavior and say, I understand, I understand, you can't do your homework. There's so much going on in the world right now. I'll tell you a story. When I was teaching Claire, I had this one, <laughs> this one dude uh, during the, uh, I was working with this one history teacher and this was right after the 2016 election. And what he ended up doing is he ended up not teaching for three days. And he told his students, like, I'm just so sad. Like, I'm just so sad that I can't teach right now. And I, I, I totally understand if you guys don't want to learn for the next three days. I'm like, that's pathetic. Like, like, that's the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life, where it's like, you're too sad to teach and empower your students. You're just going to sit there behind your desk and say, oh my, let's just emotionally, like, and you know, he used a fancy word, like, let's just emotionally process what's going on for a moment, guys, you know, and he's sitting there drinking his like green tea at his desk. And I'm like, no, sir, that that's pathetic. And that is the opposite of what we need to be doing. If we really care about this world and we want to make it a better place, we owe it to ourselves to become ultra powerful and start actually getting into spheres where we can make the world in the vision that we envision for it. I love this. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, your girlfriend was spot on in that. It's not, it's not just that there's nothing more we can do, but it's that the what we can do is make ourselves stronger so that we can fight a battle in the future so that you know it's and and so that is in a way an active pursuit and i think you know of this professor you're referring to like there's fight there's flight and there's freeze and yeah. the people that freeze they get eaten by the jaguar like that, <laughs> that, that is not it, you know it's very clearly not the right answer and um you know teaching that kind of values is, is it's, it makes us weak. It, you know, it stops the kinetic energy of movement that, that causes kind of growth. I I'm sure I've mentioned Talib before with you, but, but I just am obsessed with Talib's concept of anti-fragility and this idea that it's not about being resilient. It's not about being surviving, but it's what can we do when we're, we're, when there's resistance on our system to actually make that resistance make us stronger in the future. So weightlifting is the classic example. The, the more pressure you put on your system, the more the outcomes can be. And so I think if whatever we can do to frame our, our even power, powerlessness in the moment to set us up so that when, you know, the, the Jaguar comes out of the woods in the future, 
we've been there. We've thought about it. We've considered it because things will come out of the woodwork. The, you know, life is going to be tough from politically and personally. Um, and all we can do is, is kind of set up our system to, to help try to kind of prepare ourselves for that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I've never, I've never heard of a leader or anyone who had any kind of credibility say, I can't make a decision right now. I need to emotionally process what's happening. I, like that, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care. I, I know that in my, and you can see I'm getting emotional. Like this is really, <laughs> this is really like, I, I'm usually super cool, relaxed, Aaron, but this is actually a, a triggering point for me because it's yeah. like, where we where we're kind of cherishing a, a form of uh, inaction and weakness and and we shouldn't be really celebrating these things like I'm sorry like like you just said with the jaguar over there that's reality in life there is jaguars in reality there are elections that really don't go your way there's all mm -hmm. sorts of crazy stuff it's not it, 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 it's like you still have to do your responsibility you still have to take action and you still need to improve yourself. Now, it's important to be in touch with your emotions. And like, if you need to go home and cry, or if you need to go home and and just, you know, ruminate, or, or maybe you take that Sunday afternoon off and be like, all right, let me just process what happens. That's okay. But I think that this idea of like forfeiting primal responsibility is not okay. If you have time on a Sunday, and one of the things that I've actually talked to, because people might be thinking right now that I'm like anti-therapy or, and I'm like, no, what is actually really important is when you're dealing with your emotions to actually set a time space and specific time to do that. Like I actually, am not, I'm not saying that we should be uh, repressive monks and just hide what we're feeling and hide our emotions. That's a highly dangerous path. But I think that it's like, okay, this is very emotionally, you know, distressing right now. I will set time in my week to process this, or I will set time to talk with my therapist about this. That's healthy and that's okay. And I think Peterson, being a psychologist, would approve of what I'm saying right now. What's not okay to be like, I'm not going to work for the next two days or something like that. That's when we're, we're going too far. Absolutely. And I think that that rule goes for any traumatic experience you're going through, illness, especially like those things will eat up your entire life. And so setting up apart the, the place to feel those emotions, to talk about it, to game plan, and then leaving some space to just to just live. Um, I, I really I want to lean into what you're saying here about the decision making thing, because I think I found, especially in my career, that so much of leadership is just making a decision. And so often people bring me an issue and I have very little more information than they do, but it, I know it is my responsibility to make a call and then defend that call all the way through. And, and often it doesn't really even matter what the outcome of the call is. It's just that the call was made and that, that I saw it through. And if it was the wrong call, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to say it was, and I'm just going to back it up and try to make that happen. And I think that we need to give our leaders a break because that's all they're doing is they're making calls with the best amount of information possible. And thank God they are because there's too many of us to make them all together. You know, we need, that's, that's why this government system works. And so I think, you know, giving these, these folks the power to, to make decisions and, and you, you just start to realize that no one really knows better than anyone else. No, yes, we are as experts in certain fields, but we're all just, 
you know, with our, our limited vision and our limited experiences, trying to make the best call possible. And in the end, I would rather someone that just made a damn call and didn't blame someone else. They took accountability for it. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and that's the whole thing. Like, and I like what you just said about make the damn call. If it doesn't work out, own up to it, guys. I, I really apologize. It looks like that's the wrong direction. Let's pivot now in this new direction. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a very honorable thing mm-hmm. to do. And I think that actually shows growth and actually living in the moment. And, you know, and this also connects to the Buddhist idea. Like I think going back to the example with my, my girlfriend's students, they're not really living in the moment at all because mm-hmm. they actually had a math exam that was coming up. Like they had a huge test and they were just so bought, they were just so completely lost in the election, so completely lost in whatever. And I'm like, these, these things that you're getting lost in right now, these like crutches are actually preventing you from moving forward with your life. And they're making, they're preventing you from making executive decision making, like the real executive decision making you should be making right now is like, okay, it looks like on Thursday, I have three hours of free time. Let me go ahead and allocate that time to studying for this really important math test, right? And when you get completely lost in external realities and external leaders, you end up on three hours of BuzzFeed or CNN, or you end up three hours on the YouTube, like the YouTube algorithm just owns you. Like the, like, like the, the YouTube algorithm owns you and you're, you know, jumping from videos to videos and videos and you think you're making a difference, but I'm like, no, you're making YouTube really rich by just staying on their algorithm all day long. You're not, you're, you're not benefiting anybody. You're not, you're not, you're not benefiting the world. You're benefiting Google and YouTube by just being on their algorithm. Whereas you could have taken that three hours and studied for your darn math test. Of course. And, and the truth is there's endless YouTube videos to focus on. There are endless concepts and things in the world. Even just me sitting at my desk, there's 50 million things I could be looking at right now. And, you know, part of the the beauty of the human brain and our eyesight is that we do have selective focus and we get to choose what we aim at and, and really think about, but be careful with that because it's, it's the most powerful kind of mechanism in the world. And I think with math, especially, it's really easy to be like, how the heck does this relate to something that is about (laughs) me? Right. And I remember that so much in, in math being like, really, why am I learning this? Um, But I think if we can set up an independent value system to see that test as a stepping stone towards something we're aiming at and really focusing on that's bigger than ourselves. That's where the power is. You know, and it's funny, I have the same, I still have that same attitude, like, geez, how's this math helping me and so, and so forth. And I still, Classic. I, I still, right, we're, we're, we're total liberal arts majors here, right? We, <laughs> we, 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 we stay away from that. But even when I was taking math in college, I didn't understand the practical applications at the time. But what I saw it as is as a gatekeeper, right? I'm like, this math class is preventing me from pursuing my dreams, right? It's preventing me from like actually doing what I want to do. And instead of just like giving into despair or giving into the fear of external realities, I'm like, let me focus on doing like accomplishing and overcoming this one hurdle. And then with every hurdle that I overcome, whether, whether that hurdle speaks to me or speaks to my essence, I'm actually getting really, really, really strong. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting a lot closer to who it is that I want to be. And it's funny that there are times where math that I learned in school has 
been useful. Sometimes it it hasn't. Um, tell me when proofs like if if you if you find a use of proofs, let me know. I'm sure like <laughs> well you know hook me up with that. But um, ba basically the idea is is that I kind of focus on myself, which I don't think is a form of of selfishness because I want to become the best. Aaron Azerod that I can become. And then when I'm in a state of empowerment, then and only then am I now able to actually help other people and maybe have influence on the external reality. Absolutely. And I mean, on your math thing, I think what they always said to us was just wait, it will, it will be relevant. <laughs> and damn, they were so right. You know, I think it was just a dragon display at the time, but now, oh my gosh, the, the amount of times that I, I use it in my work and everything. So shout out to all of our math teachers out there. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I absolutely do, you know, agree that, that, the, all these just serve to make us stronger. And, and those little, those little wins are transferable because it's, it's the lobster thing, right? It's just the, the little shot of serotonin builds us up and we, we feel stronger. And that really is transferable to other parts of our life. And I think about that in, in terms of suffering that one of my, you know, one of my sole purposes here is just to make life a little bit less miserable for those people around me um, and to alleviate suffering and just, you know, make someone smile if I can. And, and those little moments of joy to me are what it's all about. And I, that I can do that so much better when I'm stronger and when I feel good about myself and the skin I'm in. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think it's this, this idea also of like, and I think this is something that John brought up in, in, in an episode that I did with him is that if you haven't really developed your skill set at a high level, you're not going to be able to give back to society. And the classic example is that, that I think I used in this episode was the father that never learned algebra. Right. And now that father has a kid who's in the ninth grade and they're like, oh, man, son, I, I wish I could help you with that. But your old man here, you know, he was on the football team. I didn't really pay too much attention. Now that father, because that father has not built up their skill set down the line, they're unable to actually sit down with their kid and teach that child algebra. So when we don't cultivate ourselves to our highest form, we, we have less utility. We have less to offer the world. We have less knowledge to offer the world. And the ultimate application of this is the form of wisdom. If you mm -hmm. don't cultivate higher wisdom, you're going to develop a lot of wrinkles. We all develop wrinkles when we get older, Claire, unfortunately. There's nothing we can really do no, about it. No, right? I don't. <laughs> You've got like the right facial no. cream or something. You're, if, <laughs> so everyone in the world is going to develop wrinkles except Claire Bevan, yep, right? You got it. But... When, when we get to this old age, if we haven't cultivated wisdom or, or, or knowledge, right, we're not going to have all that much to kind of pass on to our children and our grandchildren, or if we don't, if we decide not to have children to just younger folk or people in need. And you can only pass on wisdom and actually help somebody. It's not always just a money thing. Like I'm rich now here, here you go. Here's 500 bucks here, here, you know, you know, there is that too. And that, that is a form of help. But I think, the ultimate form of help is that you are at a you're cultivated and chiseled at a high level, and now only and only then are you able to actually help people. And and it's also the anecdote for resentment because because as you say we will we will all age, and that promise of our youth is a really sad thing to sacrifice. But when we make the trade for wisdom, it's worth it. 
um, or at least it's a little more bearable. And I think with wisdom, you know, also comes an understanding of our value system. And I think, you know, ironing out those kinks that we talked about with Rogers around, I believe this, but I don't know, I kind of think this and I act this way. Those, if, if they're left unchecked, really become, become sores that fester. Um, and so I think the more we can kind of iron, iron out those things through our life, that's also something we pass on um, because they're, they're, they're implicit, but they're, they're real. Yes, absolutely. And it's important. And it's important, like, I've come to learn that, you know, one must love themselves before they can love others and understand themselves before they can under, you know, understand others. And a lot of it is, a lot of it is grappling with yourself and your internal questions. And like you just said a second ago, it's like, geez, I believe this and yet I do that. If you have contradictions in your life, you're not ready to move on to the next level. You're just not right. If you've got walking contradictions in your life, those need to be sorted out and you have to have a firm sense of identity. And a classic example that I think of is, you know, I'm sorry to to kind of typecast um, woman here, but you imagine you have a mom with a child and that mom has a, a husband and she acts a certain way with that husband. And then that husband disappears and then a new husband comes in and then that mom becomes a whole new different type of person. And then maybe a third husband comes in down the line or whatever. That's an example of a person that doesn't have a firm sense of identity because whatever new man comes into their life, they sort of take up that mantle and they sort of bend. Now, look, when you're interacting with new people, there is some give and take. But if you don't have a firmness of character, if you're not a statue of character, then you're going to just blow to whichever way the wind is going for better or worse. Absolutely. And I think you'll also blow to how people treat you. And there's this awesome meme going around the internet of a girl that posted and it's like her, she posts her mom's new husband built this giant mug wall for her to display all of her mugs that she collects. And the girl's point was like, my dad used to hate when my mom would always bring on a new mug. And here she found this guy that is cherishing her for it. And I think (laughs) it's so easy when we don't know, you know, when we don't really love those things about ourselves to be blown in the wind by others. And, and, and then that becomes a, a, a slave mentality almost that we, we can't really let others love us also in those same ways. So, um, it's, it's huge and, and it's hard and it, it takes a lifetime, right? It's not something that we think of, you know, instantly. Um, but certainly putting our feet down and not, not letting us be blown in the wind and, and, you know, that, that, that level of agreeableness is something I'm really working towards because I don't want to just be nice. I want to, I want to be a force to be reckoned with. I love it. I love it. Because, because that is real morality is standing back and, 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 you know, keeping your guns in your holster. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, th- this, this idea, and, and to be honest, when I say wind blowing you, like, okay, yes, it's possible that some nice people will come in your life, but it's usually not that way, right? It's usually the the winds that are blowing at you are usually not for the most positive thing. They're usually they're usually in in the more negative or if not negative, kind of like a side quest and distracting, right? It's like really really distracting. Like even an example of like when this is something I'll tell you about myself now. 
So I used to, when I was in my 20s, I really wanted to be social, really wanted to be social. And I, you know, I was like, weekend would come, I wait by my phone. Oh, shoot, I got a text from him. I grabbed my phone. Well, I have to go all the way to Bay Ridge. Not a problem. Two hour, two hour R train ride to Bay Ridge to hang out with God knows who. Not a problem, sir. I'll be there. You can count on me. And here's what actually causes that behavior to happen. Because I did not have a well-cultivated sense of myself and what I should be doing with my time, I just allowed whatever experience came my way. I let fate guide me. I let I was the I was the opposite of a protagonist. I just allowed fate to guide me. And when my text, when my phone, when a text message appeared on my phone, I rushed to answer it immediately. Saturday, oh, eight o'clock at this party, got it done. And I let the winds of fate just take me. Did anything bad happen at these parties? Not really. No, you know, maybe I got a little tipsy, but nothing, nothing, nothing too bad. But the idea was, is that because I had a void in my own life, I wasn't making podcasts. I wasn't writing. I wasn't doing things that would cultivate my higher self. I just allowed myself to be open to whatever opportunities or whatever came my way. And that's not really a way to live life. Absolutely. And uh, I, I even think I, I actively valued that lifestyle that I thought that there was some serendipitous magic in things just happening, that if I overplanned, I would actually cut off that magic from my life. And in reality, you're always aiming at something, whether you're into, you know, intellectually choosing to or not. So it's not, you know, free will is limited in this way. And so I, I, I totally feel you. And I think it's transformative when we kind of take, take control over ourselves and we teach people how to treat us. I mean, I think I find that in relationships all the time is that the first time you put your foot down about something, it's, very, very impactful because you just teach people that you can say no. And that's, that's where the power is. One of the most empowering things that happened to me that's happened to me more recently is I I've had some friends that, you know, have asked to hang out with me and I've actually told them no. And, and, and this is a, a shift for me in my own life. And when I say no, I don't miss, I don't wish them any harm. I wish them well. God bless them. Love you guys. Have fun. But for me, it's also it's a game changer because I'm actually saying the things that I'm into, the things that I'm highly interested in are worthwhile. And in fact, they're so worthwhile that I'm willing to sacrifice being social on the altar. I'm willing to sacrifice being social being with other people. And this is a societal problem because society tells us that loners are crazy. Loners are bad people. They're hermits. They're dangerous. Like, do not be a loner. Make sure that you rub against as many people as possible. Make sure that you got yourself standing next to 10 other people and put that on your Instagram so people know that you had a good Friday night, right? Like, that's a thing. Like, people will actually go out on a Friday and then take a selfie or take it with a bunch of friends, put that on their Instagram or Snapchat, whatever the hell the kids use today. And that's a way so that when they go into the office on Monday being like, see, I have a life. I have a life. I'm busy. I'm busy. Look, people hang out with me. 
And that, that's how they validate themselves. They validate themselves by being like, look at all the crazy adventures I had on the weekend. Look at all of these memorable moments I had in Central Park. Look at me on the picnic blanket having this like, you know, cool picnic thing, right? I mean, first off, it's COVID. No one's having any cool picnics right now. But uh, in the before, in the before times, that, that's how the world functioned. And I'm like, no, that is actually not how you should be living your life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that that it's easy to say this, right? Because external validation feels really good in the moment and, and let, you know, likes are little dopamine, <laughs> you know, givers. They're, they're really quite effective at that. But you know, what I've been able to trade that for is, is your friend that remembers you have something going on that day and texts you, you know, in the moment or your friend that, and, you know, sends you flowers because you got a new job. I mean, it makes me well up just thinking about it. That is so much more satisfying than, you know, the, the pictures and the likes and all of that. And, and it, it just, it, it really isn't, it, it's an, you can change that by where you put your focus. And if you're looking at someone else's bathroom selfie and saying, I want a bathroom selfie like that, you're going to get, you're going to get one. <laughs> That's a thing now. And, bathroom selfies is the new Oh thing. yeah, of course. When so you yeah. take them in the mirror and you have the toilet behind you, it's very attractive. <laughs> um, but if you, you know, if you intellectually identify a person whom, which you like their values and you want to be more like them, tell them, like a- act it out, be there for them, you know, ch- show them model the behavior you want. And when they do something you like, tell them it 10 million times. I think that's something that I've now become more able to do is comp like honest, true compliments to people. And it just blows people out of the water when you're like, Hey man, you were such a good listener. I'm so impressed by that. And, and people just love it. It's not, it's not gross or cheesy or too much. It's really powerful. Yes, yes. I, I think that that's important. And positive affirmations is, is really, re- really wonderful. And, and like, you actually know that you have true friends when they're able to step outside themselves. Like, because we all have, like, your fake friends have a lot of insecurity. And when they see you're doing well, they try and bring you down. Or they don't bring you down. They kind of ignore you or downplay your account. Well, that's nice, Aaron. That's mm-hmm. nice. That's that. That's nice. Hey, yeah, nice. Anyways, I do blah blah blah. Right? Like, like they, they that those are not real friends because they're not giving you. They're not. They're too insecure to actually step outside themselves and give you a true positive affirmation. Mm-hmm. And it's good to know the truth. It's good to know that reality. Tying this back to our you know discussion of leaders and and political movements and so forth, I think that's actually what kind of triggers a lot of people to attend like protests and things like that because i you know i've been i've walked by many protests talk to any protester whether they're on the left or on the right does not matter and they're usually highly like ill-informed right you talk to the protest and this happens both on the left and right they're like yeah uh, we're just here you know doing blah blah we're just here to let our voice be known and then you ask them some follow-up questions and they really can't defend themselves and now, now that we're talking about being social, I think what this comes down to is that these people could give less of a crap about the, the, uh, the rallying cry of the day. It's just that they want to be social. They're just using the protest as an excuse to have selfies and using it as an excuse to be surrounded by other people. And I get that. Life can be really lonely. I, I get that. I get that you want to be surrounded by other people. But here's the rub. Is it really worth 
compromising what you believe in or not really discovering what you truly believe in just for the sake of being social. And that's where I think we lose so many people. Yeah. And, you know, it's inevitable that we find meaning in our friends because they validate our identity. And I think that that it's so such a comforting feeling when you're in a group of people that you love and you're, you just know who you are and yeah. they see you for who you are. And, and it's a little bit deceptive, but that's just the, the truth of it. Um, and I think, you know, in, in today's age, like p- politics and activism has become sort of like, it's like rock and roll. It's just what you talk about. You know, it's just what you're, you and your friends are doing together. And it's an, an aspect of that identity, but so interesting when it's not rock and roll at all. You know, it's, it's such a, a, a more, more kind of profound and impactful thought structure. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and it, it, it feeds into tribalism, which we also get with sports a little bit and, and so forth, right? It gives, like, people want that in-group sensation. They, they yes. want the in-group sensation of, like, my team won and your team lost. And I, I've debated with other people about this as this inherently good thing, as an inherently bad thing. But I think for the purposes of our discussion, before you even think of, this, of, of joining a tribe, know thyself. Like you really need to know mm-hmm. yourself and, and have, have a firm idea of where you stand. And if there's a particular coalition of, of, of people, you can temporarily align yourself with them. Like, hey, you know, it looks like my needs and the needs of, of what you guys are fighting for are aligned just so, ju- just so on this very critical issue. And that's okay. And that, that's, that's an extension of your personality. But if you are protesting something new every single week, you're not being real with yourself. Like there's no way that you care about the whales and veganism environment, like, 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 like all or taxation policy. Like there's no way that there's no way that you care about all of these things in one like one individual has these many like really deep-seated feelings is just I find that highly doubtful I think I think it's like you may have a few things that you really need to show up for and then help but I think that's just a lack of not knowing yourself and the the potential that all of those opinions are true or scientifically line up to reality is so low Mm. and that's a very slippery slope i mean that's where you get kind of the the concept of duty over individual value values and and ethics and i think that that's where you get the nazi guards and and you get we all have proclivity to get really sucked into the systems that we're in and it's blinding it really is and so to your point you you better know what know what you're willing to do and not willing to do before you dive in yes and you you actually touched on something very dangerous and i'm glad that you went there um most of the causes that we have in the world today are fairly good, benign, you know, like they're not necessarily bad causes. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with trying to change the environment. But here's the danger of not knowing yourself. When a Nazi-like cause does arise at some future juncture or future point, if you don't know yourself, then you might get sucked into that. And there's actually been, there's actually been, um, I think Vice News actually did a really good thing on this. They actually interviewed uh, former 
neo-Nazis. And they said, why the hell did you get sucked into this, man? Like, And you know what all these young guys said? All the young guys were like, I didn't know any better. Like, I didn't know who I was. I, I didn't know who I was. And these neo-Nazis came and they gave me a sense of brotherhood and they gave me a sense of belonging. And that's like an example of where if you don't know yourself, you could easily get sucked into something like that. I mean, thankfully, most of our causes are, are either benign or on the good side of the fence, but it might come down at some point in the next decade where some really nefarious groups start emerging. And if you don't know yourself, you're going to get sucked into their ranks. And it sounds like way too harsh an example. It really does. You know, it sounds just out there, but it's important and it's real. And it, this was not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was, you know, socioeconomic conditions that could happen in a country very quickly. And so I think this Peterson gets a lot of flack in this area just for being so kind of intense about people's potential to be in, to be, you know, a Soviet Russia guard or a Nazi guard. But if you don't know that you could get there, or if you don't really think through what would put you there? What would make it happen? Who would you have to be defending to really act in a, in a horrendous way? Then you, then you don't know what, what we as humans are sort of capable of. And, and so I think that, that that's the work. Mm, yes, absolutely. And I think, I think it takes a lot of hard work to start formulating yourself. It may, it may even be like, I think, I think, you know, depending on how you look at it, we see adulthood as 18 or 21, but I think under like Erickson, it goes, it goes to 25 or it goes a little bit older. And to some degree that I think that's okay. I think it's okay to experiment a little bit here and there, but at some point, when you're experimenting with different ideas and with different people, this should all be in the pursuit of developing who you are. And I think after you have a social encounter, like I've had many, many, many negative social encounters in my life, Claire, but the important step is when you have a negative social encounter, like you went to a party where there was um, something bad going on, there were drugs there. Like the important thing to say after that social encounter is like, that is not me. That is not who I am. And okay, I, I rubbed face to face with this negative social encounter. And now, now I have this in my index of like, that's not who I am. And then keep going out and, and pursuing new things that do speak to who you are. And this, and this requires careful cultivation and curating. And you're constantly, I hate to say this, but you are throwing people out. You're throwing ideas out. You're throwing, you're throwing things out of your life. And that's okay. You're going to get, you know, your, your suitcase of ideas is going to get a lot thinner as you get older. Yeah. And, and really watching how things, interactions make you feel. Yeah. And for me, for me, often that's very embodied that you just, I, I feel antsy. Like I need to leave or I need to go somewhere else. I get kind of a knot in my stomach, you know, feeling your breathing and, you know, mindfulness can really help you to feel these things. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how I've learned even recently. I'm like, why, you know, I, I like, I really enjoy hanging out with these people. Why do I always kind of want to leave early? And then I'm like, well, duh, like I'm not, I'm not enjoying it. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the real danger here with drugs and alcohol is that you don't get to feel those things anymore. Yes. And suddenly you're having a really amazing time with almost anyone. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not perfect and I certainly have leaned in, in those areas in ways that I regret, but, um, 
that's, that's the real blinder here is that you don't get to watch if, if you're really enjoying the conversation or not, yep. because, you know, you might as well be on the moon. Yes. Yes. And I think I shared this on a previous podcast, but I'll share it again. So when I used to go out in my twenties, Claire, I would actually fall asleep at bars and not, not because I was intoxicated. I would have like one or two beers, but I would, I, and, and what I did was I, I would like just close my eyes. Like I'm doing now, obviously people can't see me, but you can see me. And then people would wake up and be like, whoa, 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 oh, okay. And what I used to do is I used to say, think, I, and I believe this, I actually thought, guys, I'm a teacher. I wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning, you know, I'm tired and it's like, it's already 9.30. And that for the longest time, I thought I'm just getting older. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I can't hang with it anymore. But actually now, Claire, when I'm doing things that I love, I can actually wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and then go to bed at 11 o'clock because I'm so freaking engaged. Like I'm waking up really, really, really early and going to bed late just doing what I love. And and, and, and it's amazing. I'm like, I I wake up and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I had five hours of sleep. And yet here I am ready to go for the next day. And I'm like, when you are actually when you actually know who you are you'll never fall asleep like like at 9 30 at night and i now look back at those years and and god bless them i love my friends from that era like there's you know they they were not bad people and i love them today but i realized like there are probably one too many hangouts that i should maybe not have gone to and me falling asleep at that bar was a sign that I was just so intellectually unengaged from the conversation and so unengaged from what was going on there that that I I wasn't I wasn't basically being myself in that moment and I was probably being phony I was probably being fake I probably was making jokes that I look back on now and say Aaron come on man you were just trying to get laughs you were just trying to be social and that's probably why I was falling asleep yeah And it's weird that you don't see it in the moment. I mean, I didn't, I didn't either, but the things that you could read books endlessly on, those are the things you should be studying. You know, the dates that you go on that you could talk for seven hours and it feels like 10 minutes. Those are the dates you can, you should be having. And I don't know why we give ourselves a pass for all the other stuff and just pretend like it's the way things are. But again, this goes back to that kind of attention thing that what, what, you you know, sometimes you don't get to choose what you pay attention to. It's just in your natural proclivity, but you better listen to it. Um, Because if you don't rectify that with what you're actually acting, you're not going to be happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think bottom line here, whether you're at a bar or whether you're at a protest, if you're falling asleep, you best get out of there and start figuring out who you are. Claire, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was a really fun one. Thank you, Aaron. This concludes the 69th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.